Would you turn your Bible to John chapter 1, verse 1? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God. Edmund H. Sears lived from 1810 to 1876. He attended a school that taught him Unitarian faith, which in effect, and with uh, your apologies please, my apologies to you, is really a school of faithlessness. Because the unity and the Unitarian position denies the deity of Jesus and denies all the great truths that we hold to be so precious. And even though Edmund Sears attended that school, he wrote to a friend one day, I have been schooled in all of the Unitarian faith, but I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. I believe that he was God tabernacling in human flesh. His experience with God began when he was a young boy. When he was about 10 years old, he was out in the field doing some farm work in New England. And a line came to him that was destined to be heard around the world. It was just a couplet that came to his heart. He didn't have anything to write with. And so he took a stone and inscribed on his hat these words, And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, look now. When he went home, he told his family about it, and they didn't believe him. They thought he got that somewhere until he wrote the rest of the poem. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from heaven's all-gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its babel sounds, the blessed angels sing. And ye, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing, O oh, rest beside the weary road, and hear the angels sing. Edmund Sears brought into being a great hymn that has been sung around the world. We call it, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. He called it, And Ye Beneath Life's Crushing Load. 
For the focus that was on his heart was not simply the incarnation and the narrative of the night he was born, but why he was born. And Edmund Sears had on his heart from a young boy the cares and hurts of people he had met, some of it stemming from experiences in his own childhood and in his own life, much of it stemming from what he saw as a young boy all around him. And that song has gone around the world, and I think it is appropriate today that as we think of why Jesus came, He came unto His own. He was the Word of God made flesh. He was the very express image of God, tabernacling in human flesh. He could walk around and say, hey folks, you've been wondering what God is like? Look at me. I and my Father are one. Nobody else has ever been able to say that. We can say, I would like to be godly. I would like to be Christ-like. Christ in us, the hope of glory, as Paul put it. But only the Lord Jesus could say, I and my Father are one. And those who are under the awful crushing loads of life, and they're everywhere. They're right here in this building this morning. There's some listening by radio. There's probably not one person here who doesn't have some burden, some heartache, some loneliness, some tinge of sorrow, some burden that you would like to be able to just give to somebody else. Another songwriter years later wrote, burdens are lifted at Calvary. And if we place our burdens upon Him, He lifts those burdens. Many things have been said about the Lord Jesus through the years. Dr. Robert G. Lee, who has stood in our pulpit many, many times in years gone by, wrote a book called Jesus Was Greater Than Solomon. He said Jesus was greater as to his birth. No one dates time from Solomon's birth or from Abraham Lincoln's birth or George Washington's birth, but from Christ's birth. And all around the world, even in atheistic countries, They say, this is the year of our Lord, 1988. He was greater in wisdom. He was greater as a teacher. He was greater in building, for he built lives. He was greater as a throne, because we can go to him as the throne of grace and find help in time of trouble. Jesus was greater in prayer. Jesus was greater in provisions made. He provides for eternal salvation. Jesus was greater as to the home prepared. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. He was greater as to the gifts he receives. Because all of us, and we're just one little minute part of this world, On this Lord's Day across the world, there are at least two billions of people who meet in honor of the Lord Jesus and bring to Him not only their financial gifts, but the gifts of their heart. And so Jesus is greater than Solomon. 
In the 708th year from the foundation of Rome, we would reckon it 46 B.C. by Christian reckoning, Julius Caesar established the Julian calendar, beginning the year with January 1st. In the 6th century A.D., Dionysius Exegus, a Scythian monk living in Rome, originated the system of reckoning time from the birth of Christ. This was adopted in England in 664. In 1582, Gregory XIII reformed the Julian calendar and discovered that perhaps there was a four-year mistake. But in all these years since the 6th century, and even before in many places, especially in Rome, after Constantine became the Roman emperor and joined the Roman church, the dates all across history have been dated with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ye beneath life's crushing load can have Jesus abiding in your life. This same Jesus who has changed the course of history, this same Jesus after whom the calendar is marked, this same Jesus about whom the Scripture says these things, He is the arm of the Lord. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the branch. He is the bread of life. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the chief shepherd. He is the cornerstone. He is the counselor. He is the day spring. He is the deliverer. He is the desire of all nations. He is the door. He is the everlasting father. He is the first and the last. He is the good shepherd. He is the glory of the Lord. He is the great high priest. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the horn of salvation. He is the great I Am. He is the image of God. He is the only one immortal. He is the Jehovah, the judge of Israel, the just one. He is the king of the ages, the king of kings, the king of saints. He is the Lamb of God, the life, the light of the world, the Lord of glory. He is the man of sorrows. He is the meditation. He is the Messiah. He is the messenger of the covenant. He is the morning star. He is our Passover. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our Redeemer. He is the Rose of Sharon. He is the Savior. He is the Shiloh. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. This is Jesus. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, look now. For in Christ all the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Him. Somebody said this concerning Jesus, who is the bread of life. He began his, monk, his ministry by being hungry. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. He hungered as man. He fed the hungry as God. He was weary, and yet he gives rest. He paid tribute, and yet he is the king. He was called a devil, and yet he cast out devils. He prayed, and yet he is the one to whom we pray. He wept, but he dries our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and yet he redeemed the world. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. He died, and by dying gave life to those who will come to him. Jesus is the man of sorrows the Lamb of God, the Bridegroom, the Truth, the Life, the Way, the Door. All of these things that can be said about Jesus 
are indeed true. But how do they get to our hearts? What does it mean that Jesus was the Word and the Word became flesh? That Jesus was God tabernacling in human flesh? Edmund Sears again got hold of that truth when he said to those who are bending neath the burden and load of life, Christ is your hope. Christ is your life. Christ is the lifter of your burden. There may be somebody to whom I speak this morning who has contemplated suicide. You've come to a point in your life where you feel like it's no use going on. You're just going to quit, going to throw in the towel. You're going to jump from a bridge or take some medicine and not wake up. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, Look now, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to lift your load. Jesus wants to brighten the road. But you have to receive Him. You have to open your heart to Him. In closing this morning, I want to suggest these reasons why Jesus came. First of all, He came as the surety of a promise. For long ages, God had made promise after promise to men. The wrong shall not prevail forever. Satan shall not rule forever. Cruelty shall not be tolerated forever. Wrongs will not always be on the throne and right on the scaffold. In Exodus chapter 12, the promise was made, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. In Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And then Jesus came. <clears throat> he came as the surety of a promise. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ, the ever-living Lord, late in time, behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as men with men to appear, Jesus, our Emmanuel, here. Jesus is here, and Jesus is right where you are today, knocking on your heart's door, wanting to come in, wanting to lift the load, wanting to brighten the road, wanting to strengthen you, and I want to tell you this morning, if you'll give Him your burden, whatever it is, maybe it's a burden of inferiority, maybe it's a burden of guilt, maybe it's a burden that you don't know how to answer, a financial problem, a home problem, a get-along problem. How do you get along with my wife, with my husband, with my parents, with my associates in business? How do you get along with all these? What do you do about all these things that plague me and come to me? You can be like the little boy who had an awful battle with temptation. He went to his preacher and he said, Preacher, I don't know what to do about all my temptations. and I don't know how to deal with them. And the preacher said, Next time the devil knocks at your door, you send Jesus to the door. And so he went home and temptation started knocking again. And he just said, Jesus, you go answer this. Jesus, you go take care of this. 
He came back to his preacher next week smiling and excited. And he said, you know, Jesus has been so busy answering the door that I haven't had time to get in trouble this week. And you know that will happen to you if you let Jesus be the lifter of your Lord and the brightener of your road. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, you have hurts. You feel like crying all the time. You feel depression. Let the Lord Jesus be the lifter of your load, the light of the world in your life. And that's another reason Jesus came. He came as the source of light and life. Listen to this passage in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you know that nobody in this room, not anybody over here in the junior department, and listen to me carefully, please. Did you know none of you has light inside of you? That light comes from Jesus. None of you really has life inside of you. That life has to come from Jesus. And that light of Jesus is the life. And when you invite Him into your heart, He brings light and life. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness was never able to put it out. Well, He came as the Savior of sinners. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Guilt is an awful thing. You ever felt guilty about something? There's some, maybe within the sound of my voice today, who have who've done some things, and nobody knows about it, just you and God. You sometimes forgot that God knew it. Of course, he knows it. And that's the thing that makes you feel guilty. And when you think about it, you don't know what to do with that. You think, well, I can't tell my best friend because they'd think less of me. I can't even tell my husband or my wife or they might divorce me. I don't know what to do about it. Well, I want to tell you what to do about it. Take it to Jesus. He is a friend that will lift your load. And if you take that burden to Jesus, the Bible says... The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in order to confess our sin to God, we have to confess it to ourselves. Thank you. In order to confess our sins to God, we have to confess it to ourselves. We have to say, Lord, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner. I did this thing. And you know, a lot of times we try to deceive ourselves and we fail to acknowledge to our own hearts that the thing we've done is wrong. And so when we acknowledge to ourselves that it's wrong, then we try to go to God with it and God says, now wait a minute, has what you've done, is it an open thing so that it hurts somebody and they know it? Go make it right there. And if it's something that's so open that others know about it, go make a public commitment. And then bring that thing to me, and it'll be absolved. It will be forgiven.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, no priest on earth, no preacher on earth has the power to do that. No church on earth has the power to do that. Only Jesus. And when we take our burdens and our guilt and our sin to Jesus, He is able to speak it forgiven. And you come to Him a week or a month or a year or ten years later and say, Now, Lord, this thing, and God says, Wait a minute, what thing are you talking about? Well, well Lord, this thing that I did ten years ago, what are you talking about? I've forgotten it. It's in the sea of my forgetfulness. It's behind my back. I remember it against you no more. And so Jesus came to be the forgiver of sin, the Savior of sinners. And that's what He wants to do in your life. Ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the winding road with measured steps and slow, look now. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preacher, Probably one of the greatest preachers in, in uh, of greatest English-speaking preachers that ever existed. He lived in the latter part of the 1800s. He died in 1892 at the age of only 58. When Charlie was a young boy, 14 years old, he was wanted to go to church one morning. It was cold and snowy, and the church that he normally attended was closed. And so he just walked down the street and could hardly make it through the blizzard and found a little primitive Methodist church open. He went in and he and one or two others were the only ones there. If I understand it correctly, the preacher didn't even get there this morning, that morning. And an old man stood up and he began to read from Isaiah. And he came across this passage and said, Look unto me, all the ends of the earth. Look, look and be saved. And Charlie said, I looked. And I looked to Jesus, and that morning as a 14-year-old boy, Jesus lifted my load and brightened my road, forgave my sins. And he left that little Methodist chapel a different young man. The months went by, and he heard God dealing with his heart. You see, growing in grace is a growth process. Our salvation takes place like that. But little by little by little, the Holy Spirit begins to clean out the cobwebs inside of us. And Charles Spurgeon said, I began to put my heart before God, and God began to cleanse me. And after a while, God called me to preach. In his later life, he said, somewhere along in my youth, I picked up a nasty habit. I picked up the habit of smoking. Charles Spurgeon, a smoker? Yeah. And he preached some of the greatest sermons that were ever preached. And he said he was pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And he said, I really did not, I, was, I tried to be close to the Lord, but I didn't see any problem with this until one day I was going down the street and I saw a sign up there that said, smoke the kind of cigars that Spurgeon smokes. Because Spurgeon was one of the great preachers in London. And he said, it just went through my heart like an arrow. He said, I'd never thought of other people looking at me like that. He said, I took that thing to Jesus, and he forgave me, and I quit it. Just like that. Never did it again. And then he used that as a testimony to say, all of life, all of life, 
from the beginning of salvation to the end when you are promoted to be with the Lord is one long growing in grace where Christ begins to clean out the cobwebs of our life and we lay them down before him. And ye beneath life's crushing load whose forms are bending low, look. Look to Jesus. He has forgiven and cleansed murderers. He has forgiven and cleansed alcoholics. He has forgiven and cleansed adulterers. He has forgiven and cleansed every manner of sin. And whosoever will may come. May we pray, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus. We're grateful that at this time of the year we can think of the Incarnation and what it meant that Jesus was God tabernacling in human flesh. We pray that just now you'll lift some loads and brighten some roads and someone who has been crushed under the awful load of life will just come and say, Lord, I want your cleansing and your forgiveness. And I give to you my heart. And I give to you my sins. I give to you my burden. And I trust that burdens are lifted at Calvary. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Number 249, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Let's stand. Everyone standing, please. 249. <clears throat> this is God's invitation. It will not be long. It is for those in this auditorium and those who listen by radio. If you will open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll forgive and cleanse and save, save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. Would you do it today? You say, how do you do that? Well, first of all, talk to God right where you stand. As you sing these words, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, just say, Lord, that's the way I want to come to thee, just, just as I am. And as you come to him that way, ask him for the courage and strength to step out in the aisle and come and commit your heart to him. Say, I want to be saved. I want Jesus in my heart. Or I want to give my life back to you. Or I want to move my membership to this church and serve God here. While we begin to sing, who will come? Step out for the king. Let's sing the first stanza. <clears throat>